Psalm 130 is truly one of my favorite psalms. It, it ranks at the top. This is one of um, those psalms that when I'm not doing well, when I'm not right with the Lord, when I need comfort and peace, this is the psalm I go to. Uh, Kathy and I have actually sung this psalm a couple times in the past. So uh, if you know me, a little bit about me, um, I, I, I remember scripture through song. And so this is the way I do it. And so uh, today there's actually quite a few passages of scripture that I also know in song. No, I'm not going to sing to you today. So blessings are yours. Um, and this one always comes back. It just, I, I sing it a lot. It's amazing. And so Psalm 130, this is when I go into teacher mode. I haven't been a teacher for 21 years. And you think, ah, he's given up the teacher mode. But you know, the, the teacher just never comes out. And it just kind of rules out when, when you least expect it. And my, my employees at work just suddenly go, you're not going to go teach her on us. Yep, I'm going to go teach her on you today. Because I did some studying. And, and in studying Psalm 130 and, and digging into it a little more, Psalm 130 is a psalm of a sense. And it's part of a group of 15 psalms. And the psalm of ascents are Psalms 120 through 134, which means rising up. And scholars differ because scholars always differ um, because that's how they get published is they do something different. Uh, but they, they differ on this, what it represents. Some think that it's, it represents the 15 stairs going up to the temple in Jerusalem. While others believe that it was what the pilgrims sang on the way, to, on a pilgrim journey to Jerusalem. The reality is it doesn't matter. That's just kind of interesting. Um, within the psalm, however, uh, remember, ascent means rising up. And within this psalm, there is a rising up. One from the depths to the heights. One from despair to hope. The psalm is also part, because, you know, I still have to go teach her on you a little bit. The psalm is also part of a group of seven pentatential psalms. A group of psalms that includes Psalm 6, 32, 38, 51, 102, 130, and 143. And this is a group of psalms that express sorrow for sin and ask God's forgiveness of sin. And reading up in uh, Martin Luther, and Martin Luther, there's a lot to read up on, but uh, Martin Luther said that this group of psalms were his favorite psalms because they teach us that forgiveness of sins is granted without the law and without works. This psalm starts in the depths, it is often called, yeah, it's still, you still get teacher. So it's called de profundis, the Latin phrase, which means from the depths. 
It is a psalm that the English pastor Samuel Cox called a tiny gospel. Out of the depths of anguish to the heights of assurance. And I'm going to break this psalm down in parts. Most, most scholars do it in three parts, but I had to one-up them and I did four. So we're breaking it into four parts. A call for help. A cry for forgiveness. Waiting for the Lord in hope and a desire to proclaim the truth. So, let's read Psalm 130. So open up your Bibles to Psalm 130. And Psalm 130 reads, Out of the depths I have cried to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, O oh Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul does wait. And in his word do I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning. Indeed, more than the watchman for the morning. O oh Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is loving kindness, and with him is abundant redemption. And he will redeem Israel from all its iniquities. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to study your word and to look deeply at Psalm 130. And Lord, now I just pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. So the first part is a call for help. A call for help. Out of the depths I have cried to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplication. So Back to teacher mode. And in teacher mode, I want to point out that in those first two verses, you'll see two different words for Lord. So, out of the depths I have cried to you, O Lord, Yahweh. And then, Lord, Adonai, hear my voice. So, um, Yahweh is the covenant name for God, the God who keeps his promises, and the God who loves his people. Adonai, which emphasizes his sovereignty and rule over all things, is, think, think of Lord our master. He is God over us, our ruler. So you'll see this pattern throughout the psalm. So the psalmist, I think it's poetic, but it's also more. So out of the depth implies a deep place beneath the surface. You don't have to turn here, but Psalm 69.2 describes it this way. I have sunk in deep mire, and there is no foothold. I have come into deep waters, and a flood overflows me. It's this is not a good place. Things are not good for the psalmist. 
Jonah, likewise, calls out from the belly of the fish in Jonah 2.2. I called out of my distress to the Lord, and he answered me. I cried for help from the depth of Sheol. You heard my voice. This is despair. This is a cry for, for help from rock bottom. This is the pit which we cannot escape. This is the moment you realize that I can't fix this one on my own. Not only can I not do this on my own, I can't even do it through a self-help book. For those of you who don't know what a book is, because you know there is a younger generation here, it's this thing that has pages. But to use the modern vernacular, I can't go to a blog. I can't reach out to my Facebook friends for this one. I cannot watch a TikTok video and find out how to fix this. I am alone. This place appears to be no hope. Yet there is one whom I can call out to in this instance, and it's God himself. And this is what the psalmist is doing, is calling out to God. And there are many reasons why we might encounter this depth of despair. It might be illness. It might be financial issues. It might be our work environment. It might be our personal relationships. Yet, as we see in verse 3, it is the depth of sin that has created this deep sense of despair. So verse 2 continues on. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the sound of my supplications. Here the psalmist cries out to God. This is a plaintive, desperate call to God. This is desperate. The psalmist is screaming out, listen to me. I am so desperate. Pay attention. So why do we call out to the Lord from the depths? This is where your very life depends on God. It's in the good times that we tend to rely on ourselves, on our own merit, on our own strengths. It's when, when we are in the pit that we cry out for mercy. It's in the depths that our prayers are most fervent. I'm going to read a, a poem, or actually it's a prayer, um, out of the Valley of Vision, a collection of Puritan poems and devotions. And this one is called the Valley of Vision. Lord high and holy, meek and lowly, thou hast brought me to the Valley of Vision, where I live in the depths, but I see thee in the heights. Hemmed in by the mountains of sin, I behold thy glory. Let me learn by paradox that the way down is the way up, that to be low is to be high, that the broken heart is the healed heart, that the contrite spirit is the rejoicing spirit, that the repenting soul is the victorious soul, that to have nothing is to possess all, that to bear the cross is to wear the crown, that to give is to receive, and that the valley is the place of vision. And this, the key when we are in this valley, actually we are told to do it all the time, but 
we tend to more do it more in the valley the key is that we must pray in the depths we must seek god and his aid in the pit we know that our strengths will not suffice so we have called out for help and the next part the next two verses i've broken down into what i call a cry for forgiveness it's the cry for forgiveness and it reads if you lord should mark my iniquities O lord who can stand but there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared it is here where the psalmist is grappling with sin and the guilt and shame of sin if you should mark my iniquities literally means to keep watch or take account of and the question is really a good question if you think about it if in the psalmist's place if god kept a record of all my sins all my sinful thoughts all my sinful actions and all my sinful inactions what would the end result be by the law and without forgiveness in christ none of us could stand up to this and in this literally this is a court of law to stand would be to stand at the bar and we would have no defense based upon our own merits we have no defense the reality is that scripture does tell us that god keeps an account let's go to revelation chapter 20. revelation 20 and we'll read uh, verses 11 through 13. then i saw a great white throne and him who sat upon it from whose presence earth and heaven fled away and no no place was found for them and i saw the dead the great and the small standing before the throne and books were opened and another book was opened which is the book of life and the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds and the sea gave up the dead which were in it and the death and hades gave up the dead which were in them and they were judged every one of them according to their deeds and you don't have to go there but in paul paul tells us in romans 3 in verses 19 and 23 now we know that whatever the law says it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be closed and all the world may become accountable to god for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of god and this is where i i think of also in this in you know this state of, de, of despair I think of the parable of the Pharisee and the publican, which is in Luke uh, chapter 18, and specifically in verse 13 of chapter 18 in Luke. But the tax collector, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. 
wow, yeah, if we were at that throne, this is looking pretty hopeless. This is looking pretty bad. But the psalmist, however, continues in verse 4. So back in Psalm 130, verse 4. But there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. The forgiveness here is one that can only come from God. We can forgive each other and we forgive each other a multitude multitude of times. This one is forgiveness. God forgives. It's an act of God's mercy. The reality is, is that we find it difficult to even understand that in our depth of sin, God still loves us and there is forgiveness in him. That is sometimes difficult, but we know in the truth of scripture, it's there. So because, you know, I I was joking earlier that, you know, the shorter the passage, the more places you will go in the Bible during a sermon. So here we go. Psalm 103. It's a little closer to home anyway. Psalm 103. And I want to look at verses 8 to 12. Psalm 103, verse 8. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, no, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness towards those who fear him, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. God forgives. God forgives. And you don't have to turn there, but in Hebrews Chapter 10, verse 17. It says, And their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. This is a shortened version from Jeremiah 31, 34. God does not simply have divine amnesia. So he just hasn't just, it's gone and it is there no more. God knows all things. We know this to be true. God does keep a record, but not in the sense of the judgment of the believer. When we put our faith in Christ, God decides not to remember our sin. Instead of speaking against us, Jesus Christ advocates on our behalf, as seen in 1 John 2. You don't have to turn there. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. With Jesus Christ as our advocate with the Father and before the Father, he does not defend our sinful behavior, but instead proclaims to the Father that we are indeed in him and he is in us. So indeed, we do have forgiveness. Back to Psalm 130, verse 4. But with, but there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. The second part of the verse reads that you may be feared. In our scripture reading today, we read 1 Peter chapter 1, 
There's a lot of cool stuff in 1 Peter chapter 1. And specifically in verses 17 through 19, I'll read it since we've already read it. If you address as father the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood as a blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless the blood of Christ. God is our father and judge, and in that we should fear. But, Psalm 130, verse 4, seems to suggest more. If you look at, at you know, parallel Bibles, and there are really cool things online, so you can actually see like 20 versions of the same passage all on one webpage. It's cool. And, um, in looking at all the various versions of Psalm 130 verse 4 many of them translate the passage to say revered instead of feared and that doesn't mean that we shouldn't have a healthy fear of God but I believe that we should think of this verse in, in light of revering him and, and one, one person wrote but there we should think of this verse in a different way. But there is forgiveness with you that you may be worshipped. We bow down because of the work of the Lord. We bow down because of what God has done through his son, Jesus Christ, for us. All we can do is fall down and worship him who has saved us. That is why we should desire to worship God at all times. He has done so much for us, even when we don't deserve it. So we've gone from uh, the cry for help, a, a plea for forgiveness, and then the, the psalm transitions to the next two verses. And this is waiting on the Lord. I wait for the Lord, my soul does wait. And in his word do I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning. Indeed, more than watchmen for the morning. The psalmist is waiting on the Lord's response. The psalmist is also waiting for the rescue that God would bring. This is an expectant waiting. It is a hopeful waiting. It's an active waiting. The promises of God as revealed in his scripture. We are looking at the word of God in our waiting. If you remember back in Jonah, Jonah's upset with God. You know, he's, God's going to save Nineveh. And Jonah's disappointed about that. And so uh, he's hopeful. And so he, he goes catch an arena seat outside the city of Nineveh. And God grows a little plant to keep him from getting um, burned. And, and Jonah, you know, pops the popcorn and he's waiting for the show. This is going to be good. Except he's disappointed. Jonah's disappointed. 
But I th- it's not that kind of waiting. Well, let's just wait and see what's going on here, Lord. This is an active waiting. This is a waiting still in prayer. This is a waiting reading his word. It's an expectant waiting. Micah 7, 7 says, because again, we're all over the place today. But Micah 7, 7 says, that as for me, I will watch expectantly for the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. It's an active waiting. So the next part is really poetic, if you think about it. In verse 6, my soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning. Indeed, more than watchman for the morning. More than watchman for the morning. I think of the night guard in the army or a night watchman in a warehouse. That person's called upon to protect people or property from threat or harm in the dark. Yet the watchman waits expectantly for the daylight. This is not a wishful hope. He knows the sun will rise again. Watchman is eager to see the dawn for his responsibility. His shift will end. So they're, they're always happy when the dawn you know, when, when you're in college, you're not always the smartest person in the world, even though you know, you've gone off to college and think you are. And so when I was a freshman or sophomore at Fort Lewis College, um, I had a group of friends who decided to go camping. And, you know, they, they went camping. They went up on top of, of you know, Mount Everest kind of camping. No, they, we climbed Raider Ridge. So Raider Ridge was a little hill, a ridge line to the northeast of, of the campus. And um, they were all prepared to go. They got sleeping bags, they got their pads, and you know, they were going on a grand hike to spend the night on top of Raider Ridge. And so I had decided not to go. But then, you know, at the last second, they're all gone. And at the last second, oh, you know, that might be kind of fun. Why, why not go? So much like the, the unwise virgins who did not prepare well enough and waiting for the Lord, I did not prepare for this trip. So instead of having a sleeping bag and a, a pad and just all the fun things that are nice to have on camping, I had a baseball cap and a jacket, and I did wear a pair of jeans, but um, and a t-shirt. And so we went up, and it's it's probably late October or early November when we did this. And so I climbed the ridge. It's dusky. I could work my way up there. Nope, I found him. And and so we had a great time that evening, and then. Ultimately, night came, and it's like, oh, what am I going to do? Well, I slept on the ground with my jacket, and, and those of you who know me very well uh, probably haven't seen me too many times in jackets, and, and I don't get cold uh, very much, and that's why at Awana, they, they send me outside, and they just say, you watch the front. And so I'm there at, at the beginning of Awana, and I'm there at the end of Awana, because I, I don't get cold. 
And so I fell asleep, and it was fitful. And I woke up a lot. And about 3 a.m., I woke up, and I could not go back to sleep. I was cold. And so for the next two hours, I kept a personal vigil for the sun to rise and bring me warmth. I could not wait for that sun to come back out. I knew the sun would rise, but time seemed to go backwards in my vigil. Yet, oh, the joy when the sun did rise, for there was much truth in Psalm 34 and 5. Sing praise to the Lord, you godly ones, and give thanks to his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment, his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may last for the night, but a shout of joy comes in the morning. And it sure did. That felt way better once that sun came up. Are we waiting expectantly on the Lord for what is coming for us or to us? Are we yearning for him? Are we reading his word and meditating on it? Are we looking forward to the day that he comes back for his bride? We have a lot to expectantly wait. We've reached the climax of the psalm. The psalmist has, has said, is in joy now. And, and the psalmist realizes, I have to do something with this. I can't just sit idly by and rest in this truth that I've gleaned. I need to go out and proclaim the truth. And in this final part of the psalm, the last two verses, that's what he does. He goes out, the psalmist goes out and proclaims the truth. O Israel, hope in the Lord, in verse 7. For with the Lord there is loving kindness, and with him is abundant redemption. And he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Make note that, so, you know, I talked about Lord Yahweh, Lord Adonai. In this, the last two verses, the psalmist uses Lord Yahweh both times. This is the first time he hasn't alternated them. This is the God of love, the covenant God, the God that promises, the God of promises. The psalmist goes from the depths of despair, seeking forgiveness of sin, and on to the joyful expectant waiting for the Lord in order to publicly call out to Israel to put their hope in the Lord. The psalmist's hope was in the Lord himself, not in what the Lord would do for him. Yet the psalmist had found redemption and mercy from the Lord God. The psalmist is confident that what he has discovered will be discovered by the nation of Israel. Hope in the Lord. So what is our confident conclusion? In our paths from despair to calling out to God in need, from seeking forgiveness from the only one who can truly forgive and expectantly waiting on the Lord and dwelling on his word, what is our command? To go out in the knowledge we have and the truth and proclaim this truth to all. Jesus in the Great Commission tells us what to do with this truth. And in Matthew 28, verses 19 to 20, he tells the disciples as he's getting ready to leave, 
Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the day of the age. We have so much to share. We have so much that we can encourage other believers by the truth that we know. In the pit, we know there is hope. In despair, there is hope. And with those who have no hope at all, we can go and proclaim that truth as well. Let's go and do as the Lord commanded.